Ladies and gentlemen, stoners and growers, welcome to a midnight rendezvous like no other. I'm your host, Socrates Grows, broadcasting live from a server in the heart of America. Join me on this extraordinary journey through the lush foliage of my autoflower garden to learn how to grow your own fire at home. This is Autoflower Power, the podcast that takes you deep into the hidden realms of the horticultural marvels that we call autos. On this episode, we'll be discussing when and how to harvest your auto flowers, as well as how to dry and then cure your harvest for the best results. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Auto Flower Power on harvest, drying, and cure. Before we get too far into this episode, I just want to acknowledge that this part of the garden cycle can be very difficult because you're going to want to rush. Each one of these processes is very easy to look at and say, let's just do it a little bit early, whether it's harvesting just a little bit early or maybe drying just a little bit not enough or maybe curing for not quite as long as you would like. Each one of these processes is important and it should be acknowledged that these do need to be done to get the best results. I think it's important to mention this upfront because we've already spent a lot of time, we've spent money, seeds, electricity, we've done a lot of research, and we don't want to mess things up at this point. We want to have something really great at the end, a really nice product. So each one of these steps will guarantee a better product in the end, and it will make sure that the bud that you finally get out the end result will be the top quality that you could possibly produce from what you've grown and from the genetics that you've uh, put into those pots in the beginning of your grow cycle. So let's talk about harvest. Every plant that you can grow has an ideal peak harvest moment. Uh, You can think of anything in your garden from peppers to herbs. Everything is going to have an ideal time to pull it from the garden. Uh, Take, for example, tomatoes. If you pull tomatoes too early, you're going to see that they don't have enough color. That's how you're going to know that they uh, aren't quite ready. They're going to have a bad, almost bitter taste. There won't be any sweetness. Any savoriness won't be good. It might be a little bit like uh, extra jelly-like. It won't have maybe the firmness that it will eventually have at peak harvest. So pulling it too early is not great for tomatoes. Likewise, pulling tomatoes too late, you're going to end up finding tomatoes that have typically split or rotten. You'll find some bugs in there from the splits. They'll fall to the ground, and you'll know that they're no good. But if you pick a perfectly good uh nicely timed tomato you know you've had a great tomato it's sweet it's savory the color is gorgeous it's got a nice firm texture not too much jelly in the middle that's what you want to do you're shooting for peak harvest time on flowers just like you would for a tomato so how can we tell that it is peak time for auto flowers there's going to be a few early signs just from visual inspection and from the way that the plant is reacting to certain environmental variables that will give you an idea that the plants are coming to the end stage of their life and that they're almost nearly ready to harvest. One of the big uh, tells is that the plant will stop drinking water. If you're using sub-irrigation, this will be particularly easy to spot, but your plant will uh, hold on to water for a lot longer. It won't be using it, uh, and that is a really good sign that your plant is almost ready for harvest. You'll also notice that the leaves are completing what's called the fade, This is kind of showing a range of colors. This is, again, like we talked about in the last episode, uh, we're almost mimicking fall when we're growing autoflowers towards the end stage of their life. So you'll see some fall-type colors. Uh, Sometimes you'll see some reds, some oranges. 
Uh, a lot of yellows is the most common one. You'll even see purples a lot of times in some uh, particular types of genetics. This, uh, when these full colors are on display, you know that you might not be there, but you are getting pretty close to the harvest time for these plants. It's also a great time to uh, take some photographs because this is one of the most beautiful times where your buds are going to look gorgeous against the backdrop of those colorful leaves. So the fade is another great way to kind of give an idea to you that the plants are coming to the end stage of their life. Along with the fade, you'll also notice that the fragrance tends to get pretty strong towards the end of the flower stage. Um, you will notice it throughout entire flower, but right towards the ends of flower, uh, it will get uh, quite intense. You'll notice it when you open up your tents or when you go in your grow rooms or out in your gardens outside that the plants are definitely giving off a lot more smell than they had been previously. Uh, additionally to the smell, when you just kind of look at them from the naked eye, you'll notice a little bit more uh, maybe yellowing. The buds aren't quite as green. There's uh, maybe more variety in the colors. You might see some purples. You might see some blues, some reds, depending what type of genetics you're growing. But when you're actually just kind of like giving a naked eye to the flowers themselves, you'll notice that there is more of a variety than there was early on in the flower development. The real true and best way to tell when your flowers are ready to go, I'm sure you've heard, is by looking at the trichomes. Um, the trichomes are the small resin glands on your flower. It's all, they're all over the plant. You'll see them on some of the leaves as well. These are where the uh, THC is. This is what we're really going for, are these resin glands. So we're really waiting for these to mature. This is what we're going for, whether we're making hash or we're just going to be smoking the flower itself. So what are we looking for when we're looking for trichomes? Well, trichomes uh, begin basically clear you can see through them uh there's you know they almost look like light bulbs they're just straight see-through you know there's some prismatic uh uh visuals to it because it's not you know totally clear there's a shape to it but basically it's clear there's no cloud to it which is the next step is that they get cloudy they get filled with white and they sort of look like um you know, uh, like a milk-filled uh, glass or something like that. And cloudy is really what we're going for. Cloudy is the goal for our resin uh, heads, which is what these uh, trichomes are, our resin heads. After they are cloudy for long enough, they're going to start to deteriorate. And the way that you could tell that they're deteriorating is that you're going to see them turn more of an amber, a red, brown type color. Uh, again, they kind of look like something in the fall, almost like a dead leaf that type of color, that sort of reddish brown, uh, burnt sienna color if you're into paint. Um, that's a really good sign that your uh, resin heads have matured. So what we're shooting for on there, depending on how strong we want the uh, final product to be, is somewhere between 10 to 30% amber trichomes. Um, that's you know not an exact math type thing, this is something that we're going to want to keep an eye on as the plants start flowering, maybe through mid-flower is when we should start. And you just want to keep an eye on the trichomes because they won't all mature uh, like over a, like a long period of time. I found in my experience that a lot of times I'll look and I'll look and I'll look. And then all of a sudden, one day towards you know day 85 or 90, whatever it happens to be on this particular run, 
a lot of the uh, the heads turn amber on the same day. So you go from maybe like 5% to 15% uh, in a very short period. This isn't always the case. Sometimes they ramp up and there's a few here and a few there, and it takes a real long time for them to go one by one. But that's why you want to really keep an eye on them is because they can develop pretty quickly towards the end of harvest. When you're looking at this and you see kind of a lower uh, amber count, maybe like in the 10% range, uh, you can kind of assume that this is going to be less of a uh, couch lock type situation as far as the um, expression of the genetics go. Uh, don't forget that it's really the genetics that are going to make the most difference. But as far as when you're harvesting, if you want something a little bit heavier, you wait for more uh, amber trichomes to appear in form. Uh, typically this will give more of a couch lock feel than if you have, you know, closer to 10 or lower percent ambers on your, uh, resin heads. So what's some of the best ways to look at these resin heads? There's really two ways, uh, maybe three ways that you could go about this. The first is you can use a camera. If you've got like a nice macro lens on there, I haven't had experience with this, but I've talked to a few people who use their cameras and they say it's perfect. No big deal. Um, and easy to use. So if you've got a nice new camera on your phone, that's one way you could go about doing this. The cheapest way to go about doing this is to get an inexpensive jeweler's loop. Uh, I've gone through maybe about 10 of these. These are similar to the pH meters. When you're going through those, you're going to break them maybe every two or three runs. So if you want to have a backup one on hand, that might not be a bad idea, but Amazon does always deliver tomorrow, so it's usually not a total emergency. But a cheap jeweler's loop is another way to go, and it does take kind of a steady hand to be able to get in there and to know exactly how far to put the loop from the flowers to be able to see the ampers. But after a couple of runs and some practice, you can get pretty good at kind of getting an idea how to do it. It's almost like you got to do it on the fly while you're moving. Uh, jeweler's loop is a bit of a skill that you've got to acquire last but not least as far as checking the trichomes and i think this is pretty cool i've never had the experience of trying this one either but i like to get one in the near future is to grab a digital microscope these are uh, pretty inexpensive uh, again you can get these on amazon real quickly and um these usually can either plug into your phone or their Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. I'm not exactly sure, depending on the model. And you can basically pull up uh, microscopic photos from this uh, digital microscope onto your phone and capture them that way. I've seen some great photos online from people doing that, and I've also seen some terrible pictures online. So I think all these tools kind of are your mileage may vary as far as the qualities go and how well you personally use them because I've seen good results and bad results from all of these tools. So that's how you check your trichomes. Trichomes are definitely the best indicator of when your flower is ready to be harvested. So once your uh, amber trichomes are about 10 to 30%, depending what you're going to do with this uh, in the end and what your end goal with it is, whether it's kind of like a heavier uh, vibe to it or kind of a lighter vibe, you will know that you are ready to chop your plant. Congratulations, all the growing and hard work is done. You're ready to take down the plant now and get it ready to enjoy. Well, there's a couple more steps first, so let's talk about taking down the plant for the time being. 
Before you chop the plant, you're going to want to remove any dead leaves or uh, any leaves that are kind of in the way. You don't want to take all of the leaves off, but you do want to take anything kind of like you did during the rest of the plant's life, uh, dead, decaying, diseased, or more than 50% damage off the plant. So this is a good time to go ahead and do that. It's also a good time at this point to take some pictures of your plant. This is your plant in her full glory. Uh, You will never get another beautiful picture of the plant alive in her pot in the full state that she's in after this. So make sure you get some documentation if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, I find it uh, good at least to have maybe like a full picture of each plant that I've grown so I could have kind of a reference in the future of what looked good and what didn't and also kind of what to expect if I were to grow them again or uh, if I wanted to show anyone else kind of what I was looking at. So I think now is a good time to take a picture to show the full expression of the genetics. And from there, you'll have uh, some good reference material. So as far as technical bits on chopping, the uh, form of the chop is sort of dictated by your environment and the tools available during the dry. So what am I trying to say there? Basically, um, for wetter environments where you're going to have a harder time uh, keeping the humidity down, you might want to chop up the plant a little bit more. But if you can, and you can control your humidity and keep it below 60% uh, relative humidity and about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, you should try to chop that plant as a complete plant and dry it over a longer period of time. And keeping the plant as one entire form will definitely allow you to get an extra few days out of uh, the dry process than if you're to chop it into several pieces. So just consider what your environment is, whether you can control your humidity or not, Um, especially if you've got a very low humidity that you can't control, which you should be able to because you can use a humidifier during this process. Uh, You're going to maybe want to keep the plant intact there for sure. So shoot for an intact plant. And if there's some sort of relative humidity issues, you're going to want to shoot for branches, I suppose, would be the best option in that case. So how do you chop the entire plant? It's super easy. You basically take a big bypass pruner uh, or like a hand shear and you chop the base of the plant just above the soil line. This is going to give you the most complete cut of the plant. This is going to give you the most room for drying. And the reason why the bigger plant uh, is better to dry for a longer period, obviously, is because there's more water in the plant. There's more stalk available. There's more uh, leaf material available. And of course, the flower material. So you're going to get a much longer period that it's going to be able to dry out and um, be in that dry room before it gets completely like crispy or anything like that. So we want to kind of shoot for the longer dry period if we can. So a full Uh, plant chop is the way to go if possible. This would also be the time where we would decide if we were going to do a wet trim or a dry trim. Um, These can be dictated based on what you want, and it could also kind of be dictated on what your schedule is like. If you know you've got something coming up in the future once this plant is dry and you've got no way to store it to preserve it, uh, then I would maybe do a wet trim so that you can have it ready to go once it's dry and it will trim uh, a little time off the back end. Uh, No pun intended. Whereas if you do a uh, dry trim, 
you're going to allow for more plant drying time, which is again, beneficial. I know I've said that a hundred times at this point, um, but it does sort of spread out the work over more time, which can be beneficial and it allows you to adjust your dry period. So if things are going too slow, you can chop it up uh, later on or kind of do um, different techniques. So that will also prevent uh, over drying. So basically uh, wet trim, dry trim, this is now the time to make that decision whether you're going to get those uh, sugar leaves and everything else out of there. Uh, again, I'm going to go ahead and recommend if everything is totally under control, you're going to want to do a dry trim and you're going to want to do a full plant dry. So those are my recommendations for uh, the chop process. Let's talk about drying. The drying environment is just as important as the growing environment. And just like the growing environment, you can use a tent or you can use a dry room for this uh, procedure of drying. Um, you're going to want to be able to control the humidity and the temperature, and you're going to be able to want to control the light to a major degree. Uh, by that, I mean you're going to want to be able to keep it dark specifically. Um, so either one, depending if you've got a good room for this that has some ventilation or you can use your tent, or if you've got a spare tent, a lot of people like using a smaller tent with some sort of a hanging system to uh, dry their stuff aside from their main tent, because sometimes plants don't finish at the same time. If you're lucky enough to have a room or a closet that you can use for this, that's another great option, as long as you've got some airflow in there and can control the humidity and the temperature. So as far as humidity and temperature, what we're shooting for is a 60-60 split, basically. You're going to want a relative humidity of 60%, and you're going to want about 60 degrees Fahrenheit for your temperature. Um, this environment allows for a slow and an even dry of the plant, and that's going to be the uh, best, most beneficial dry uh, to get the best results in the end. For the first couple of days, you might want to keep your relative humidity even a little bit lower, maybe 50% for the first day or two. Uh, this can prevent some issues like molding or bud rot. This isn't necessary, but a lot of people do like uh, drying closer to 50%. I found that that uh, dries a little bit too quickly. So maybe if we could do a little bit of the best of both worlds, start at 50% for a day, two days, maybe 48 hours, and then like allow the humidity to rise up to 55 or 60% for the rest of the cure. Just like in the grow, you're going to want to use a humidistat and a thermostat to manage the RH and the temperatures in the room. Uh, don't be afraid to use a humidifier in the dry room. That's uh, something that I've told a lot of people and they kind of look at me crazy like we're trying to dry in here. Why would I want to add any sort of humidity? Uh, you do. You want to make sure that it's not too dry because you want to make sure that you've got a nice long process like we talked about before. You're more likely to have a, a high humidity issue in dry in some parts of the world in some seasons than you are to have a low humidity problem. In that case, again, we're going to run a dehumidifier. Um, and if you can, you're going to want to run that to a sink or a sump pump so you don't have to worry about emptying the bucket. 
Uh, last but not least, as far as the humidity and the temperature, you know, you might want to consider getting some type of a heater if you're in a co- very cold room or if the uh, lung room that you're in and you're using a tent is super cold. Um, or you might want to consider getting sort some sort of AC for the room if it's uh, crazy hot in there. So you don't want to be uh, burning up your bud while it's drying. That's definitely not something that's going to be beneficial in the long run. Another consideration in your grow environment is to have some air circulating. You're going to want some air blowing. You're going to want to use fans, whether it's oscillating fans or just stationary fans, but you're not going to want any air blowing directly on the plants. So if you see like the plants and they're hung and they're moving or they're spinning, if they're uh, hung by string, that's too much airflow. You're going to want to uh, maybe... Uh, point the fan at the wall or maybe lower beneath the plants just to get some air circulating. Uh, But yeah, bouncing off the wall is a great idea as far as a dry room goes. And you're going to want to keep that going in there because you don't want any uh, still air. Still air can promote bud rot or uh, mold in your uh, dry. And that's one thing that we're definitely trying to prevent. So make sure you've got a nice amount of airflow going uh, in your room. Last but not least, you're going to want to keep your environment dark. Uh, One thing that does degrade THC and your terpenes is exposure to light. And this is one of the most uh, precarious points in your flower's life. So if we can keep the plants in the dark during this period of drying, this is going to be great uh, in the long run. So keep your dry room or your dry tent uh, dark. You're going to want to keep the relative humidity about 60 and the temperature at about 60 as well, Fahrenheit. Uh, Sorry, Europeans, you can convert that. All right, let's talk about a couple uh, practical tips. I would uh, start by saying that one tool that's great to use are clothes hangers. You can hang uh, one or two branches off of these. If you only have one branch, you could use clothes pins. If you've got two branches, just hang them over the middle. You can also use clothes hangers for an entire plant. Uh, One thing while you are drying that you're going to want to keep in mind is that you're going to want some space in between the plants. You're not going to want to crowd them in there. You're going to want some airflow, some space. This, again, prevents mold and mildew and any sorts of issues with dampness. Uh, So leave some space. And if you are putting uh, plants on as whole, you're going to want to separate them just a little bit. You're not going to want to have two plants on one hanger, even though they could fit. Another great tool if you are uh, using an open room is you can use these portable clothes racks. These are um, you know, sometimes used for stores or whatever, but you can get them pretty cheaply at Walmart or on Amazon, and you could hang uh, several plants on several hangers on there. And they're very efficient space-wise and as far as having rollers on there so you can move them around easily if you have a room that you can set this up in. If you have a spare tent, uh, tents are useful, as I mentioned before. Since we're trying to uh, control the environment, it's easier to do in a tent than in an entire room. So uh, get a tent uh, going if that's an option for you, especially if you have a spare one. A lot of us have maybe a starter tent, like a two by two, and then we've moved up to a three by three or a four by four, whatever the issue might be. Um, if you can figure out a setup, take a look at, uh, there is a place that has, uh, automatically turning chandeliers. I think it's called, uh, drytents.com never use them but i think it's a pretty cool idea it's just a way to keep uh, air circulating around them without a fan 
um, and that fits in a two by two tent. I think you put an air filter in there. Anyways, um, something like that, I think is a pretty cool idea because you can control your environment in there. So we did discuss uh, the drying at 6060. Um, just for reference, this could take anywhere from seven to 14 days before it's ready to cure. Um, so be patient. As I said, in the beginning of this episode, there's no point in rushing at this point. Uh, we've gotten here because we've put in a lot of work and at this point the work is going to be patient. So, uh, wait it out. It's worth it. Another note, uh, practical tip is if you can only control one, uh, variable, keep that lower relative humidity in check. And then second is a uh, very high temperature is not good. So first is humidity. Second is temperature. Neither one's great, but shoot for a lower relative humidity if you have to shoot for something. Going along with the seven to 14 day cure or 14 day uh, dry rather, a longer dry will enhance the terpene profile in the long run. Uh, this is our goal when we're growing stuff. So I would say this is great. This is, you know, uh, free quality. Basically all we got to do is just sit there and let it happen. So when we're getting towards the end of the dry period, we are going to, uh, kind of want to test out and figure out, is this dry enough? Is this ready to cure? And there's a couple of ways to do this. Uh, first off, I would choose a nug or two to kind of test the dryness. You're going to want to check the outside uh, to make sure that the outside is dry, but you're going to want to make sure that the inside is still squishy. You don't want the whole thing to be dry and crispy all the way through. That means you've over dried it. Um, and you do want that squishiness on the inside because that moisture will even out during the cure stage. It will uh, spread out and it will uh, make the dry outer uh, shell of it that now feels dry and kind of almost crusty, much more moist and much more even. So uh, try to get your bud, whichever tester bud it is, and just like squish it up. Don't worry about it. That's going to be your tester nug. It's all good. All right. One uh, <laughs> one to go with that is don't, uh, don't wait to try it. I mean, there's no rules that says you have to dry it for, uh, you know, six months before you can try what you're doing. Um, very often I will pull that tester nug off after I smash it and it seems pretty good. I'll just light it just to kind of get a test profile and, you know, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be non-harsh. It's probably going to smoke pretty harsh. It's not going to be, uh, you know, the full profile. It's not going to be the full exact thing, but you can get a pretty good vibe and, uh, you know, kind of get a sense of exactly where it is in the dryness process once you do uh, have some experience with it beyond just looking at it and touching it. All right. Also, you're not going to want to dry too quickly. This produces the infamous hay smell. If you dry too quickly or you don't dry it enough and you put it into the cure bags, this will uh, degrade the quality. It might still be okay to smoke, but the smell will be no good and you want a good nose on these things, especially if it's for yourself, you want to be able to enjoy it. So give it that time. Another classic way to test whether it's dry enough is to uh, snap the branches. What you're doing here is you really want to hear like a real crack. You don't want to just see it kind of bend. This is typically the smaller or medium sized branches, but you will hear a definite crack almost like if you were to crack open a peanut 
and you will know that all the moisture has been removed from that stem and that there's no more drying to be done in there so that most likely the flower is uh, evened out and pretty dry and that there's not going to be a lot more moisture movement in the plant from the stalk at least. So that's a pretty good indicator that you might be very close to the end of your dry. Um, one last thing that I've come across, especially in summer when there's high humidity, is it will seem like the dry is completely done and I will start chopping it and I will put it into the cure stage and it just won't be done. I'll talk to you very briefly uh, about that in just a second, about how you can tell if your flower is ready once it's in the cure stage. But uh, sometimes what I'll do is I will chop it up. I uh, By that, I mean I will trim it. Basically, I'll break down the branches and I'll break down the flowers and I'll trim it. And if it's still not quite dry enough, you can use these uh, mesh dry bags they're easily available, they're relatively inexpensive, and they're a decent tool to have on hand for a variety of things. Basically, they're just like a mesh uh, multi-layered hanger, and you could put uh, buds in there. You just put them in an even layer. It won't cause any sort of um, indentations, like if you were to dry them flat on some type of like paper out in uh, you know the open air. And you could keep this uh, mesh bag also at a 60-60 environment, and you should be good to go drying for maybe a couple extra days if you're not quite there and you just need a little bit more. I've had some pretty good luck with this in recent history, and um, I think that's a good way to get that just like the final dry out if you realize that you're just not quite ready for cure. All right, let's talk about cure now. There's a bunch of benefits to a solid cure. This is possibly the most critical step if you've done everything well up to this point, I'd say. By curing well, you can preserve and develop terpenes uh, in the plant. This will give you better smells and flavors when you finally enjoy the product post-cure. This will enhance all those experiences. It'll also even out the moisture as we talked about. Um, remember the bud that we checked before and it was kind of... Uh, dry on the outside this will get the inner moisture to move all over the bud and kind of like rehydrate the outer parts so that you have more of an even bud when you're going to smoke it later on it'll also make the uh bud burn smoother if you went ahead and you tried that um uncured bud straight off the drying plant you will have noticed that if you smoked it it is definitely not uh smooth it's uh, quite a harsh smoke, and curing will actually smooth that out a ton. It's, uh, it's really amazing how much smoother the smoke can be once you have gone through a proper cure. Last but not least, I think the top benefit is that it stabilizes the flower to be stored for a longer term. Um, this will make sure that you're not deteriorating in quality and that it will maintain for a lot longer, whether it's in a jar or a bag. Uh, this is one of the major benefits to curing your flower. So how do we cure our flower? First, after we're done drying is you're going to want to move your uh, dried and now trimmed buds into airtight containers where you can cure it. You're going to want to shoot again for about 60 humidity, 60% humidity, um, or somewhere between like 56 and 65 is acceptable as far as curing goes in whatever environment you're going to do it in. Um, to monitor that, you can find mini hygrometers 
and you could put these in the containers and just continually check them. Uh, whatever we're going to be using is probably going to be clear or have a window in it. So these mini hygrometers are very inexpensive. You could usually get like a four or 12 pack and it's an easy way to uh, check in. They even have ones that uh, can check in on your whether it's Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, so that you can continuously monitor them without going into the storage room or wherever you're doing your drying. And uh, it's a great tool. It makes it a lot easier. So there's several different methods to uh, curing your cannabis. There's going to be two that we're going to cover today, the mason jar method and then a bag method. So to use the mason jar method, which is the most common, uh, you're going to basically want to take your dried bud after it's been all trimmed up and nice, and you're going to want to set it aside. You're going to take a mason jar, uh, depending on how much cannabis you've harvested, and you're going to want to turn it on its side. You're going to want to place a hygrometer on the uh, bottom so that it's facing outwards, and then you're going to want to stuff the flower, not stuff, but you're going to want to place the flower gently into the jar over the hygrometer so that it stays in place. Uh, you Once it's uh, filled up past the hygrometer, uh, you want to uh, keep adding flour. You don't want to overfill the jar. You want about a fourth of the jar left with air or maybe a couple inches, depending what size the jar is. Always leave a little headroom on there. That's what they call air in a jar. Um, and uh, that's going to give you a better cure. So for the first few days, you're going to want to make sure that you're going to check it all the time. This is where you're going to have the most fluctuations. This is when you're going to find out if your uh, dry has been completely done or not. Basically, you're going to want to check the humidity hourly during the first week or so. If you can't do it hourly, it's okay. If you do it every six hours or even every uh, 10 hours, you're probably fine. Um, while you're checking, you're going to want to remove the lid and burp the flower. This allows CO2 to escape and fresh air to get into the jar and allows humidity to be released. Uh, what this is doing is exchanging fresh air for the air that's in there. It's going to allow some extra uh, humidity to get out, help the drying process continue while the cure is going, and it's going to aid in making sure that it's becoming more stable and moving more towards that 60%. If the jars you uh, see when you're opening them and checking them, or if you see it on your uh, hygrometer app, is over 70%, especially if it's over 75%, especially in the early days, you're going to want to remove your buds from the jars completely. Uh, you're going to want to let them air out either on a table or if you've got a drying mesh setup, like I had mentioned before. You're going to want to just remove that from the jar and let that sit in there, whether it's for a few hours or a few days, depending how high the relative humidity got up on there. Because if you leave them in those jars, you could still be getting mold on those, uh, especially if it's above 75, like I said. So if you see anything above 70, just uh, remove the bud completely. If you are uh, below 70, if you're like at 65 or even like 69, something around there, you can open up the tops of the jars, let it sit for a few minutes, and you're gonna continue burping them. After the first few days, you're gonna to wanna to continue burping at least twice a day for about the first two weeks, and then you're gonna to wanna to do it daily for at least a month. Uh, this will give you the best opportunity for airflow and to make sure that your bud is curing evenly and nicely. Uh, when you open the jars, I'd shoot for about uh, five to 20 minutes. If you leave them open for a little bit longer, it's fine. I wouldn't shoot for anything shorter than five minutes though. 
Um, and if you're leaving them open, open for more than an hour or so, you are now drying it more. So uh, just keep that in mind. It will even out again. But uh, just take that into consideration if you are having an issue and you're keeping them open for any longer than 20 minutes. So once your cure has been going for a month, two months, something like that, at least two weeks minimum, I would say that uh, you can start consuming that cannabis and you can keep it in that jar. It's a perfectly good uh, container to store it long term. Just make sure you keep it in a dark area with a relative humidity and a temperature that's pretty stable. It doesn't have to be perfect because at this point, your bud is a lot more shelf stable. So congratulations, you've mason jar cured your weed. So let's talk about another method that I have come to like in the last couple of years, in the last couple of runs. And I'll tell you some of the benefits and some of the cons that I see with it. And these are cure bags. Um, particularly I've had, uh, experience with the Grove bags. Um, I found them to be very useful in some manners, and there's also some stuff that I don't particularly like about them. So what a Grove bag is, is that it's a, uh, it's a one-way, uh, airflow bag that allows airflow out and doesn't allow airflow in. So basically if you've got your, uh, bud dried properly, the main uh, selling point is that you don't have to burp the bags. They're kind of like self-burping is the idea. The airflow out uh, is enough to make sure that you've got airflow and that you are uh, lowering the humidity in there and you're getting the best terpene profiles. So I've had some luck with these. Um, I've got some pretty good cures out of them. I've done both uh, mason jar and uh, cure bags before. And I will say cure bags uh, are a lot easier just because you do not have to burp them uh, regularly. Real big benefit. Um, another big benefit is that when they're empty, they're a lot easier to store than big mason jars. If you got a bunch of mason jars, if you're into pickling or canning or anything like that, you know how much of a pain in the butt they are when you are storing them empty. They take up a lot of space, they take up a lot of room, and they're clunky. Hard to move around, they're heavy, and they make a lot of noise. Uh, these cure bags are light. You can fold them up, basically. They're flat pack. You can put a bunch of them in a small amount of space, and they're easy to store. Now, some of the cons that I will say. Uh, I hate that they're plastic. Uh, I don't know what else they could possibly be, but I do hate the fact that these bags are plastic and I'm storing my cannabis, especially in these early stages, in plastic. Um, that's one of the major advantages of the mason jars is that you're in glass. There's no plastic uh, concerns. I don't know if there's any actual uh, plastic concerns or if that's something that you think about, but I do often think, you know, I've been growing all this stuff at home and I'm not sure that I want it to be sitting in plastic in one of its most uh, important stages of its process. Additionally, I'll say that I've had a couple zippers break on these bags. I don't know if that was user error or not, but I will say that uh, a few that I've bought, uh, more than one, the zippers have broken. They're reusable, so um, it's not ideal when the zipper breaks. That basically renders the whole thing useless. And um, yeah, that I wasn't thrilled with that. Um, last but not least, as far as the cons go, once they're filled, they're not as easy to store as when they're not filled. Um, they're kind of clunky. They're almost like pillows, uh, like little plastic pillows that you got to store and, uh, not bad. They stand up, I guess, but, 
not the best way to uh, store long-term in my opinion, but they're great for the cure. I have had great luck with them and I wouldn't discourage you from trying them because you might uh, find them perfect. I definitely will continue using them. I will continue using mason jars. So this isn't uh, throwing shade at cure bags or grove bags. I like your product. I think they're really cool. And uh, I hope you guys figure out that zipper problem. So um, yeah, that's, that's basically the two different ways that I'd like to discuss about uh, curing. Let's talk about a couple uh, tips I have for you as far as curing goes. First, I just want to say a longer cure reveals more flavor, more smell, and more potency in your cannabis. This is, like I said, a very important stage and not something you want to rush. So take your time and uh, go for a longer cure if you possibly can. It will pay off in the long run. I'd also like to say that uh, you should shoot to cure for at least a month if possible, possibly several depending what you're doing in your environment. But I would definitely shoot for at least a month of cure before you really consider your flower done. Uh, As you can tell, I don't mind sampling it in earlier stages. I don't think there's anything quote unquote wrong with that. Um, but you do want to remain, uh, you know, in cure for long enough for the majority of your flower to make it worth the, uh, work that you'd put in previously. Minimally, I would say two weeks, two weeks is the absolute minimum. Um, anything before a two week cure, this is basically like the first few days you're opening it every couple hours. And then for the first two weeks, you're basically opening it every uh maybe twice a day um and after that point you're basically getting into a very very early cure so if you want to consider that cured you can maybe start uh using it at that point but if you can wait another two weeks i'd wait another two weeks uh another tip (laughs) and i think this is important is uh for a good cure have good bud on hand if you can having good bun on hand make sure that you're not rushing the process that you have enough time for drying and curing and that there's uh no uh no issue with being like i need to get my hands on that because i got nothing else so if you possibly can have some good bud on hand before you start the uh, dry and cure process that will make the whole thing a lot easier as far as the uh patience all right and last but not least along with patience i will say that, uh, again, avoid putting your weed into the jars or the bags too early. This causes that hay smell, and it can ruin a lot of the good work that you've put in to develop your uh, your strains terpenes and your flavors and everything that you've hoped to get out of this. I've uh, both had it myself and had many friends who've given me hay-smelling weed, and I'm just like, all right, well, uh, was that really worth the effort? I screwed that up in the end, but... Uh, Yeah, so if you can uh, avoid that, that's definitely worth its weight in gold. Again, those herb drying racks or those mesh racks are cheap, they're useful, and uh, they're great in case of uh, further drying needs. So take your time, keep an eye on the relative humidity and the temperatures in your jars, and I think you will have a very successful and fruitful curing process, and this will pay off in the end. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Auto Flower Podcast, where we have discussed how to tell when to harvest your autoflower plant, how to manage your dry, 
and how to maximize your cure for the best results in the long run. I hope you've taken something away from this that you can directly apply to your garden today to grow bigger, more vigorous, and monster plants at home. Check out the show notes at socratesgrows.com slash harvest. You'll find show notes there and links from this episode. Feel free to email me any questions or comments or just to say hi at socratesgrows at protonmail.com. I will reply to anyone over there. And until next time, take it easy.